Why, hello there, dear listeners and or tap-dancing gumdrops. This is Zeldaroy taking a break from reviews and reporting live from the Eclipse Ballroom. For one night only, our trendy Greasy Spoon Diner slash nightclub has been transformed into the fanciest of venues. At least, I think that's what the garland of forks across the stage means. The more forks you have, the fancier it is, right? We don't stop at the forks you actually eat with. Our fancy events include them in the decor. June Lennox Mercator is actually wearing one as a bracelet. So buy your forks now, kitties, because I think they're about to get super hip. Mrs. Mercator has been back in the public eye for a few weeks now, since the birth of my minion, I'm sorry, her daughter, Daisy. And her posture has never been better. She's super proud of that, by the way. I'll clue you in. We're all here to raise funds for Marvin Whitley's new video rental store. Aren't videos great? Just think, when you're bored on a Thursday morning after work, you can roll out of bed and rent a tape of the classic 80s movie same time next Tuesday. If you haven't seen it, you should. It's about two dating high school students from different classes, both homeroom and socioeconomic, that have lunch together every Wednesday, who break up and decide that they'll be much more powerful if they stay friends. It's an inspirational story of breaking down barriers and eating grilled cheese. Anyway, June's running this thing and she is looking stunning as always. Last I saw, she was over by the cheese straw table, talking to Horace Applebottom of the Applebottom Feeders. I think he's catering this thing. His wife just died so sad. His third wife, that is. Not that the death of his third wife was any sadder than the deaths of the other two. In fact, Horace seemed fairly unaffected by all three, but he is known to be more than a little stone-faced. When I was eight, I filled his mailbox with whipped topping, you know, just to see what would happen, and he took out his soggy mail and closed the box right back up without saying anything. So I guess the dead wife thing wouldn't warrant much of a reaction. I guess. Horace has chosen an assortment of movie-themed snacks for the catering tonight in the spirit of our fundraiser. If you decide to join us tonight, I suggest eating beforehand, unless your idea of dinner is junior mints and pre-buttered popcorn. Speaking of pre-buttered popcorn, my little buttercup, Daisy Mercator, is here with her parents, Brian, and the previously mentioned host of tonight's festivities, June Mercator. Well, Daisy is currently by herself in her carrier on the stage, blowing spit bubbles, my little sugar plum is so talented, while her mother and father are... Her parents are... I can't keep talking about this like everything is made in the shade because it's not. If anything, the Mercator family is in direct sunlight, and I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, look at them now! Brian has been hanging around the bar for the past 15 minutes, and no, that is not some sort of accusation of him being a closet alcoholic. I think he ordered a moxie 10 minutes ago and has been nursing it ever since, chatting with the bartender who is socially awkward, I'm just guessing anyway, and wearing the most atrocious purple and brown paisley tie I have ever seen. Doesn't Horace have some sort of dress code for his catering staff? Whoever thought paisley was a good idea? And June! Wait, where is June? She was just over by the stage, talking to her sister Valeria. No doubt about Valeria's choice of harem pant and peasant top ensemble, or the complete lack of any sort of puff, 
shrimp, chicken, cheese, what have you, at the buffet, which I am in total agreement with, by the way. The puff thing, not the harem pan thing. I'm seeing lots of friendly faces here. Anastasia Edgerton is looking lovely as usual, seated next to a lively Raphael Bartholomew, as well as some, well, Kenneth G. Fabio is also here tonight, without his wife, I might add, because when I asked June if I could have the final say on the guest list, she said that this was a town-wide event, and refusing anyone entry based on my level of dislike for them would be considered discrimination, not to mention a violation of both civil rights and etiquette. Our new cabaret leader, Caius Wilburn Selby, is here tonight as well, having been in office for almost three months. The previous cabaret leader, Santino Ernesto, died in a tragic tightrope incident during which the rope, secured between a town hall and the public library, was severed in two by a flying sieve. Tragic, yes, but accidents do happen. Tragedy and civil rights violations aside, the acts are due to start any minute now, just as soon as June gets her adorable small human off of the stage. Where in the blazes is June? She's been acting strange lately. Earlier, I saw her talking to Horace, and while I suppose, as the event caterer and event planner, they have cause for some conversation, she was acting very skittish, wiping her palms on her chiffon skirt, and constantly looking over her shoulder. And their conversation lasted at least six minutes, and no one, not even any of Horace's ill-fated wives, could hold a conversation with him for that long, without some sort of break or alcoholic beverage. And then after that, I saw her talking to this guy. I don't even know this guy. Does he even live here? And it was all very covert and cloak and dagger and mystique. And I don't really know, but I watched the Maltese Falcon last night, so I'm still a bit jazzed from that. But it is weird. June is a very sociable, congenial woman, and anyone would be so lucky to converse with her, but, well, all I'm saying is she usually doesn't choose to speak to men who purposefully wear old, scuffed Chuck Taylors as if they're trying to be hip. Those shoes will never become a thing. But anyway, that guy, the guy I don't know, is wearing those shoes, and he was talking to June, or June was talking to him, and they were just standing there in a corner, and I think June might be having an affair, and I don't get it, because have you seen this guy? Is she having an affair with this guy? I feel a lot better now. Sort of. Because I also think Brian is having an affair. I mean, I don't really have any evidence, nothing like secret conversations held in corners anyway, just the sense that something isn't all hunky-dory at the Mercator home. That and Brian's car has not been in the driveway the past few nights I've driven by their house to make sure that their porch lights are working. I'm a very good friend. So there's talking in corners, empty driveways, unnaturally long conversations, unfashionable shoes, and the general fact that I have not seen either of them actually speak to each other today. They came in together with Daisy, of course, but then Brian immediately went to the bar with that oddball bartender, and June went off to Horace after she dropped Daisy and her carrier on the stage. I should clarify, by dropped, I mean placed gently in her carrier with her fake steering wheel toy that beeps like a dying cat onto the stage. And now Brian is still at the bar, and but June is not talking to Horace or Valeria or that guy and Daisy. Why is Daisy still alone? Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> Why, hello, Miss Daisy. 
I see you're driving yourself today, which isn't all that surprising given your parents' lack of familial focus lately, but I do hope you've logged enough hours on the road. What do you think about Brian and June, huh? Well, I suppose you call them Mama and Daddy. You don't actually call them anything, do you? Do you think there's something going on with them? Is one of them being unfaithful? Are both of them being unfaithful? Is one of them being marginally more faithful than the other? Or has your father joined some sort of nighttime-only ascot appreciation club and that's why he's never home at night when I drive by to make sure your garage door is closed? And why is Horace looking at me like that? No, not like that, Daisy. But still, he's looking at me in a manner that suggests he wants to discuss something with me, which makes me uncomfortable because A, can't he see I'm busy right now? And B, I have not had enough alcohol yet to deal with this potential conversation. I'm purposefully focusing all of my attention on you, my little slice of peach pie a la mode, so hopefully he'll stop that intense stare and sweet Zeus's beard. I accidentally made eye contact. Now he knows I know he's looking at me oddly. <sighs> I've entered into a silent contract that states I must eventually go over to talk to him. There's no way out. We're going to work out a plan, Daisy. When I say these crudités are exceptionally mediocre, you start screaming like you did that time your father used paper towels to wipe your butt and you got a rash that looked like a bust of Beethoven and your mother had to pick up that special gluten-free rash cream at the drugstore. Nod if you understand. That's not... A nod is when your head goes up and down like below a spit bubble if you understand. Ah, that's my girl. Horace is looking at me again. It's almost as if he wants me to go over there and insult his catering choices as a means to surreptitiously ask why he was talking to your mother and if maybe he's the one she's having the affair with. Please don't repeat any of that, Daisy. It'll be our little secret. Hello, Horace. You've done an exceptionally mediocre job with the catering, as per usual. Well, hey there, Zelda. I, uh, uh, what did you say? The food. What were you thinking? Pre-buttered popcorn? I, I was going for a theme, you know, with the movies and everything. If you're going for a movie theme, you really should have put at least as much effort into the catering as you do with the maintenance of your misprinted stamp collection. You have no snow caps, Horace. And I don't see any gummy gloss at all. What were you thinking? That's right, Daisy. He wasn't thinking. They were all out of snow caps at the store, and I, I, I didn't... I couldn't... Uh... That's not the point. The point is you were awful at your profession, and why were you talking to June earlier? Wait, what? I, I, I'm not... Uh... I saw you two. You held a conversation for approximately 6.2 minutes, and somehow I doubt... It was about the fact that your buffet is lacking any sort of puff. She, she was actually telling me that I did a good job. I've had a, a bunch of people come up to me and comment. In fact, your grandparents love my junior mint platter. I didn't even see them come in. I swear, those two can be so odd. Oh, that's for sure. What? 
I remember this one time when I was at your place and Gary, uh, he said it was okay for me to call him Gary, started doing yoga in the living room. And he was only in his underpants. <laughs> I, I mean, Margaret and was like, Gary, you need to put some clothes on. You can't do yoga in your underwear. And he was like, why can't I do yoga in my underwear? And, and <laughs> When were you at my house? Why were you at my house? Well, I, I mean, your, your mother and I were the same age and we, we had a lot of the same friends. <laughs> she had a lot of parties, too. Uh, I met most of her boyfriends that way. And I was particularly close to this one guy. Uh, he was campaigning to be cabaret chair. He was a cool cat, <laughs> yeah. and and I really thought he and your mom were gonna make a real go of it, but he sort of got a uh, phased out, politically, socially, of course, and then just moved on like she usually did. I mean, she went through two or three guys a month. <laughs> yes, I'm aware that my mother was very busy with her extracurriculars, but you shouldn't speak ill of the dead, even if it's true. Who was this boyfriend? Oh, I, I don't know. Not, not sure I ever knew his name. It was 22 years ago. 22? Give or take. Well, here's something I never thought I'd see. You are missing child? <laughs> no, silly. But thank you for watching her. You? And Horace. Having a civil conversation. Who was that guy you were talking to? Well, I, uh, I guess that conversation is over, so I'm just gonna go over to the bar... <laughs> Brian said he'd buy me a drink. No one cares. Right. Uh, bye. So, the guy? I don't know what you're talking about. June, I really think we should talk about this. And I disagree. But you know what we should talk about? Your choice in clothing for tonight's event. What's wrong with what I'm wearing? A crop top? Sweetie, you know you're supposed to run your outfit choices by me first. Since when? I'll have you know crop tops are hot right now. I'm thinking about doing a segment on their versatility. Besides, I host a radio show. It's not like anyone is watching me. You do realize you're in public right now, don't you? Stop making me feel like a closet case, June. It's so not cool. Sorry, Zell. You know it's only because I care. Right. I'm just looking out for you. I get it. Sometimes... You need a friend that will tell you the truth, even if it hurts. And if I can be that for someone, then I will have made a difference in this cruel, cruel world. There are too many lonely people out there who have no one to tell them when they're making poor decisions, but you, Zelda Margaret Roy, have someone. You have me. You know I don't have a middle name, right? Just go with it. I'm helping you. That's what I do. I am a helpful person. For example, the hair? That's not working either. June. Sorry, sweetie. Just remember, everything I do, I do it for you. Or myself. Ooh, that is a great idea for a song. I should tell Val. Oh, looks like it's time to sit down. The fire alarm's going off, so we need to get in our seats before the first act starts. Or there's a fire. I'm never sure which. We really should make these rules more definitive. Fine. You win this time, but only because I respect proper theater etiquette. And we're back after a heartfelt, moving poem from Bobby the, the, the Jimmy, Delorenz's very own Jimmy Stewart impersonator, about his beloved dog. I'd have to say my favorite part was... 
You don't know what I say, but you know I sound funny. One time you ate all of my money, and we had no fun the next day, which really speaks to me on a deep level, and perfectly encapsulates both Bobby the, the, the Jimmy's wavering depression and unwavering monetary troubles. Bobby, I thank you from the bottom of my soul for sharing this intimate piece of your life with us, and I hope your dog refrains from eating the $5 I gave you earlier so that you can buy that thermal underwear you've been enthusing about for the past few weeks. Next up is a Deloran's favorite, once you get past the slight odor of tuna and constant demonic whining, of course, that I know everyone here tonight cannot wait to see. That's right, it's our beloved town Bee Gees with their phenomenal cat charming act. So top off your drinks, zip up your jackets, and get ready for the best 14 minutes of your life. Unless you've already gotten married or had children, because I hear those usually rank among people's top moments, although I'm not sure why. I prefer to be unconventional. So without further ado, I give you Betty Green, Bernadette Glencoe, and Bernice Grossman with Catterday Night Fever. I know this is a special event thing and we're only partway through the evening, but I wanted to give you a heads up on the survey questions that the venue will be sharing as you leave tonight. I'll be giving you my answers. You can feel free to agree or disagree, but you should probably agree because I'm usually right. First question. What kind of ticket did you purchase tonight? Was it part of a subscription package? No, I'm working. I didn't purchase a ticket at all. And if you people subscribe to events like this as any more than a social obligation, then I'm sorry for your loss. Next, select the three most important reasons why you attended the performance. To energize your own creativity, because you were invited, to be emotionally moved or inspired, to spend quality time with family and or friends, to celebrate or observe your cultural heritage, to see the work of a specific artist, or to support an inspired cause. Okay, that list is enough of a punchline. I'm not dignifying this question with any kind of humor. It doesn't deserve it. Next question. Did you do any research about this event prior to attending? Uh, yes. My research includes 22 years of living in Delorenz and experiencing its entertainment and lack thereof. Prior to attending, did you read a review of- Okay, I'm done. Who wrote this? They clearly didn't spend time tailoring it to the event. How could you read a review of a benefit performance that hasn't happened yet? Other stupid questions I won't answer include, overall, how much did the presentation of the artists impress you? To what degree were you absorbed by the performances? How much of a connection did you feel with your fellow audience members? How many times a year did you eat at the Eclipse Diner and Occasional Ballroom? After you left, did you discuss the performance with others or did you reflect privately to yourself? Overall. What was your emotional response to this event? Friends, band together with me and do not fill out the survey. 
But this impersonal, money-sucking venue, yeah, I know how much it costs to rent this place, fail in its attempts to get to know you better and change its programming to match your preferences. June's sister Valeria is prepping for her set, which is coming up soon. Valeria, your original music is often featured on the billboard, which moved recently. The Gloss billboard, where we tape a list of the top three requested radio tunes, has been moved from its former location on top of the record store to the alley behind the movie theater. Well, the hope is that we'll make music in Dillerenz accessible to a wider audience. When it was on top of the record store, you had to either look at the list using binoculars from the building across the street, or risk your life trying to climb the fire escape and get to the roof. Which is ridiculous, because you shouldn't have to do all that just to learn about popular music. And decent binoculars are expensive. So now you just have to walk through the movie theater and knock on the exit door in the theater six times, where someone will open the door and stare at you blankly until you say, Pinky's out of jail, at which point you will either be allowed to look at the billboard or you'll... Well, it's much easier than it used to be. No binoculars required that I know of yet. Well, I'm told... By me? Yes, Valeria, by you. I'm told that you're including a song in your set by the Bangles, a girl group that Delorenz adores and whose catalogue the cabaret has recently released to us. And you'll be accompanied by our own Davis Billingsley on the piano. He's a sweet guy. Yes, I am. I'm either performing in your room or walk like an Egyptian. Not sure yet. Aren't you performing in the next five minutes? Yes, and? Shouldn't you know? Um, it's an organic decision. I'll know by the time I get up there. Hopefully. Okay, then. Good luck with that. Thanks. Oh, and can you do something for me? It depends. It usually does. I'll ignore that. What's the favor? Keep an eye on Daisy tonight. Shouldn't her parents be doing that? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, break a leg. Listeners, I'll be back to give you a recap after her performance. At the moment, I'm planning to live risky and get the new Gloss Martini they're featuring at the bar. Besides that weird bartender with a paisley tie who is still talking to Kate at the bar? Yeah, we're going to talk about that later. Until then, listeners, enjoy Walk Like an Egyptian. Or in my room. Whichever Valeria ends up picking. Is she picking? Is, is someone picking for her? Whatever. Listeners, I'm not quite sure what has happened tonight. It is now 11.30pm and the fundraising extravaganza, aren't videos great, has been over for several hours now. I'm going to try to recap tonight's events for you as accurately as possible for your benefit, and mine as well as I attempt to make sense of this shift in our small world. Valeria took the stage. And after a brief awkward silence, during which she prayed to the sun god Ra, she announced to the crowd that she would be performing Walk Like an Egyptian by one of the greatest female power bands of all time, the Bangles. That was when all hell broke loose. The moment Valeria announced her choice in song, the fire alarm sounded and the lights went out. When the emergency lights flickered on, the room was in chaos. Several members of the audience were shoving people under tables while that strange guy with the strange shoes that June was speaking to earlier ran around the room and locked all of the doors and windows. And then the emergency lights went out, 
there was a loud bang, a cry, and the sound of a struggle before the main lights all came back on. When they did, the, the scene uncovered was a gruesome one. June Lennox Mercator, Delorenz's sweetheart, was lying on the ground, blood seeping out of a wound on her stomach. Above her unconscious body stood our cabaret leader, or should I say former cabaret leader, Caius Wilburn Selby, holding the figurative and literal smoking gun. How is that possible? What reason would Selby have to hurt June? Is, is June okay? Why does Selby look like he may have possibly wet his pants or spilled his gloss martini in an unfortunate place? All of these questions and more were running through my mind at high speed while the people around me seemed to move in slow motion. That weird guy, June's suspected, at least by me anyway, lover ran over to Selby and started shaking him, asking him over and over again, why, why did you do this? And Selby kept claiming he didn't, and that guns were scary, and he doesn't even remember shooting June. In fact, he doesn't think he did it at all because guns are scary. But the guy just would not hear any of it and dragged him off. Meanwhile, Brian and that odd bartender with the hideous paisley tie ran over to June, Brian placing one of his hands on her bloody stomach, sobbing and telling June to wake up. The bartender shoved Brian away, telling him not to worry because he's a doctor, or is going to be a doctor, I don't remember, and started to apply pressure to June's wound. He started hollering for someone to call an ambulance, and Valeria, who is now holding a screaming daisy, ran over to me, dropped the wailing daisy into my arms, and ran to the back room for the phone. Several minutes later, I managed to calm Daisy by singing her my rendition of Chattanooga Choo Choo, and the ambulance had finally arrived to take June to the hospital. Brian insisted on riding along in the ambulance with her so she wouldn't be alone, and the bartender joined as well for medical reasons. And it's been two hours since then. Brian, Valeria, Daisy, and the bartender are at the hospital, waiting for June to get out of surgery. I would be there with them if not for my civic duty to uncover and share the truth. Caius Wilburn Selby has not been seen since that fateful moment, and neither has June Stranger, and I can't bring myself to care about the suspicious circumstances surrounding their disappearances because Caius Wilburn Selby shot my best friend and I will never forgive him for that. Now all I can do is relive these moments again and again, waiting for the call from the hospital to tell me that June is finally out of surgery. I guess one good thing did come out of tonight. I don't think Brian and June will be seeing other people anymore. The look in Brian's eyes as he pleaded for June to wake up his devotion to her as he demanded to ride in the ambulance, those were not the actions of a man falling out of love. And June would, I think, I know that she would feel the same way, and they would. Hold on, listeners. The Zelda Roy Show is written and produced by Rosemary Booker and Claire Kitten, who live in constant fear of the unknown, but pretend otherwise because they need to suck it up, for future reference. The voice of Horace was the devilishly handsome Tony Bender. The voice of June was Rachel Smith, and the voice of Valeria was Rosemary Booker. Check us out at zeldaroy.tumblr.com. Thanks for listening.